podcasting from the world's most livable city, Melbourne. This is the Your Career Down Under Show, a podcast dedicated to help newly arrived skilled migrants and settled migrants with their career and employment issues. We interview recruiters, career coaches, HR experts and employers who share tips, techniques and insights to help you land a job quickly and rapidly advance your career. Good afternoon, everyone. This is Naishad Gadani coming to you from Melbourne. And today is 190th episode of Career Care Package. And on today's episode, we are talking about leadership and how to remain a great leader during this pandemic and even post-pandemic times. I'm pretty sure that it has not just been tough for the job seekers or professionals, but it has been, you know, pretty tough for leaders who had to make a lot of tough decisions during this time. We have seen, you know, Qantas leaders to even, I remember seeing Airbnb CEO write a very lengthy emotional note around how he had to, you know, ask a lot of people to leave the organization and what he was uh, you know, feeling about it. It was very, you know, very sensitive moment in leadership. And obviously, you know, this has got also the, you know, PR, you know, included into this, so you don't know whether that was, you know, true or that was just to save the backside as well. So we don't know that. But I think it is it is still a very difficult time for leaders of the organizations or leaders of families uh, during this time to explain what's going on and explain the, or give the bad news or steer the organization away from there or pivot the organization, whatever that you want to call that. But I'm not an expert into that at all. So just to let you know, I'm just throwing great words at you to impress you. I'm not an expert at all. That's why we've got Zoe Routh uh, from all the way from Canberra, which is the city of leaders, right? That's where the big decisions are being made. And so Zoe is going to talk to us about her book that she has penned, but also you know give us some real insights into leadership and what 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 is involving in this time. So before we get to Zoe, let's welcome Caroline Brown. Thanks, Nation. It's fantastic to be here. And yes, it's been a really telling time for leaders. And I assume a lot of people were very overwhelmed, but also the really tough decisions that people need to make during this time, plus the whole thing around being a remote leader and trusting your teams as well. So Zoe, thank you so much for joining us. Oh, thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. I'm having a little giggle because I, I've never heard Canberra referred to as a city of leaders before. <laughs> you know, it's full of politicians. Does that necessarily mean they're full of leaders? Not always. <laughs> but yeah, um, thank, you. thank you for that. <laughs> Canberra gets referred to in many ways. That uh, yeah. Um, I guess a great place to start is tell people about the work that you do and and how you came to write the book. Sure. Um, well, I'm a leadership expert. I specialize in the people stuff. And largely I work with CEOs and their teams who want to create a fantastic culture and a great place to work. And who doesn't want that? And uh, often the challenges that leaders face are the ones that keep them up late at night. You know, the fact that Frank and Susan are, you know, at each other's throats or the executive team just is operating in silos and they won't come back on board together. And the CEO is frustrated because they need them to step up and think 
uh, from a visionary perspective, from a leadership perspective. Um, so these kind of niggly issues are the things that I help leaders and teams unpack uh, so they can show up, enjoy their work and get a whole bunch of stuff done. Um, how I came to write the book, here's a subtle promo. <laughs> <laughs> and that would be a walking book as well. <laughs> is, is, sorry, is it a walking book? No, I said that would be the award-winning book as well. Yes, the multiple award-winning book. Never is getting old, that. Um, <laughs> yeah, uh, it's my fourth book, and I put a lot of work into this one. I really dove into the research and thinking around it. And the reason it came, it came about was I kept asking, or in the work I do one-on-one -on -one with leaders and also with executive teams, you know, what is your biggest challenge? Invariably, they said, it's... It's the people stuff, it's the dynamics, it's the culture. And because a lot of them love doing strategy, they can think big picture, no worries, but the stuff that kept them held back were the those interpersonal dynamics. And so that was kind of the genesis and starting point for how to flesh out the book. Uh, and so I developed the concept of what is the biggest solution to some of these challenges? Where's the starting point? And the starting point is around perspective how we see and look at issues, how we see and look at ourselves and how we see and look at others as well as the bigger picture is, a, is the fundamental foundational piece for unpacking and being able to deal with these nitty gritty challenges as well as the big picture ones. So that was the, the, the origins of my lovely multiple award-winning book. <laughs> I love the name of it because I always think a good title really captures the way people talk about things so you always do hear people go it's the people piece or it's the people stuff that you know I really struggle with but why is it why do we why do we struggle with with you know leadership and and managing people and and what what's at the core of that do you think oh there's probably a number of different factors around it and I think the reason we say people stuff is because it's difficult sometimes to quantify and qualify and nail down uh, as opposed to other issues like if my car is broken down it's got a flat tire <laughs> it's visible and obvious and people dynamics are not necessarily obvious in that way mm -hmm. however i think there are patterns that we can learn to see and certainly the work that i do with leaders is about showing them different maps of, of people dynamics that they can apply to different situations to help decipher what's really going on uh, so I think that's problem number one is the is the visibility of issues is often not obvious. I think the second thing is, is a lot of it comes down to self-awareness as well. So a lot of leaders can be reactive instead of responsive and centered. And that uh, distracts them from getting a good grip on what's uh, going on. And they can cascade the problem even further by being so reactive. Mm. And I third issue about why people dynamics is so challenging is that people make mistakes about what they think it is. And the biggest mistake I see people making is they often assume that people dynamics is a personality problem, a personality conflict. Mm -hmm. And in my research and experience, I've found that's often not always the whole truth. Uh, in fact, quite often, and if you dig below the surface, you find that organizational systems, team systems create uh, interactions that cause conflict. And so what looks like a personality problem is um, often not just that. Sometimes it is. Uh, it's more often how does this, the workflow 
happen? And is it places of friction or is it places of fluidity? Fluidity. Mm -hmm. <laughs> the friction points, I think, cause a lot of the conflict. So I think leaders need to dig, dig a little bit deeper under the surface in their interaction to see what's really causing the dramas. Mm, fantastic. Nish, you look like you're about to ask a question. Yes, uh, no, no, I just want to welcome Bali into the discussion. And yes, if you've got questions uh, for Zoe or share your experiences of leadership, leading team, managing team, please uh, drop that in. We would love to have an enriching conversation uh, you know, while we are chatting with uh, Zoe as well. Now, tell us, uh, Zoe, about the COVID situation and how you personally or, or your business has personally pivoted towards and what have you observed you know, in, in in general business sense of how people are pivoting or people are struggling and what are some of those insights that you have? Yeah. Uh, okay. So in the first three months of the pandemic, when everything went into lockdown, everyone put everything on hold. So um, our business went from very robust to very quiet in terms of uh, delivery. There was one part, one program that was very easy for us to convert to delivering online and our clients were happy to do that. And in many cases, I booked new business in terms of being able to do speaking online. I've been doing online work for years. So that was not a big shift for me in order to do that. Um, I upgraded some of my equipment and some of it I still don't know how to use. It's sitting over there in a box. I'm like, oh. So I thought I'd learn all this great tech stuff, but some, sometimes the tech stuff is not that easy to learn. Um, so that was a couple of things we did initially. Then we sort of did a rigorous call of all the things that we didn't need to have in our business. And then we went hard in being of service to our clients. So we ran a lot of webcast series. We were supporting our individual clients and organizations to make sure that they had everything they need to support their leaders and their teams through the whole thing. And I doubled down on writing uh, people stuff. So I already started writing it and I just took um, greater depth and time with, with with polishing it up. So um, that was one of the big projects I did through, I guess, April, March, May. And then it went to the editor around May around and then it came out printed at end of June. So um, that took care of the first phase of the pandemic. And then we saw a gradual ramping out of that as especially in Canberra, we've been able to meet in person since June. So unlike poor old Melbourne and other parts of the country who have been in lockdown extensively, we've been almost business as usual and with some uh, sort of, <laughs> but being able to do face-to-face -face stuff um, since June. So that's really helped a lot in our local area. It stopped all of our grand plans for traveling to Brisbane and uh, doing that kind of thing. Um, in terms of how my clients have coped, there's been varying degrees, I think, and it's I mean, I think it's not just in leaders, but people's response has been varied. And I think the experiences that my clients have had, there have been a few that have been completely energized by the crisis. And that's sort of an adrenaline surge of like, wow, this is a big leadership responsibility right now. Let's galvanize the troops. Let's bring everybody together. Let's problem solve this together. Let's keep everyone safe. And there was this big rush through that as we as they sailed through and and try to put uh, boundaries around the unknowns and, and manage all that. 
so it was an energizing force and it was a uh, uniting force in many cases with the with different executive teams is there's nothing like adversity to bring people together and nothing like a common challenge to create a sense of camaraderie so those were some of the initial rush and excitement that came uh, for, that happened for folks there were also the difficult decisions uh, many of the leaders i interviewed on my podcast say for example had to lay off 200 300 people and that is always hard always hard uh because it wasn't through negligence that it was happening it was circumstantial and no one chose it and it's one of the very horrible consequences of the pandemic that they had to let all these people go and insert them into a whole bunch of uncertainty and pain um i think with that the burden of responsibility has been a hard thing for leaders to carry uh, knowing that they had to make the tough calls for the survival of the organization. And that's never easy. And I think if they could do it differently, all of them would try and find some way of keeping everybody. And yet the black and white numbers don't necessarily allow for that. So those tough calls, I think were exacerbated in all the uncertainty and stress of the situation. So energizing at first, heart draining in the second instance, and then I think a lot of leaders were doggedly persisting with trying to get some certainty and, and uh, clarity in their own patch to kind of edge their way forward. So that's sort of the coming out of the, the big deaths that we've had here in Australia is sort of the experience so far. Right now, there is a big sense of optimism um, in leaders and teams as we look at ahead of 2021, there is the vaccine on the horizon. Um, we know how to do lockdown here in Australia. We've got, it seems that there's a sense of like, we got this. If it happens again, we know what we need to do and we can make it through. Um, so I think there's that. There's also a lot of like people like me and Nate, you're the same, can't, can't visit our families overseas. So I was due to go home to Canada this year. Won't have seen my family for two years and it'll be another year or two probably before we can get back over there. So there's that trepidation, upsetness, not a word, but suits <laughs> around not being able to connect. And I think the not being able to connect piece has been a big one for people as well, especially through lockdown. The lack of human interaction has been problematic for many. Yeah. It's an interesting thing, isn't it, around that connection because you don't know a lot of the time that you're missing it until you don't have it. And mm. then the way it manifests, I think, with people is in a lot of different ways in terms of how they um, experience it. So what about from the remote sort of leadership perspective? Have you seen, is there a, is there a better way to do that than not, do you think? There's lots been written about how to keep your remote teams engaged. I interviewed somebody, a fabulous leader, um, Faith Reeves on my podcast, who has had a remote team since day dot. So she's been in business seven years or so, and her team has been remote from the beginning. And um, she's like, they're all highly engaged. And I think the difference here is that they all chose that from the beginning. It wasn't imposed upon them. So when you choose willingly to be remote, of course, it's on your own terms. It's like any kind of changes like that. When we choose change, we feel empowered. When it's being done to us, we get in a survival back foot. Um, so is there better ways to do remote engagement? 
human touch points, basically. And I think what a lot of leaders found, and I would agree with this, is that get off Zoom, get on the phone. So there's ironically, sometimes a deeper intimacy when you're talking ear to ear, as opposed to a visual thing, uh, especially in Zoom, because uh, largely people will look at the image of the person like this. So I don't <laughs> connect you anymore but i'm look i'm looking at your faces but you guys lose my connection so in order to do zoom properly if you're a speaker say for example one of the things i learned early uh in the pandemic is you got to look right at the camera lens so that's great for people receiving you terrible for the speaker because i can only just sort of see your mm -hmm. movement i don't get any feedback so that has been a difficult disconnect piece um the other suggestion for remote learning is you know, apart from getting on the phone, is having a chat place, whether that's an online chat room, is to have that kind of banter is really important. And to make sure that that's sort of ticking over. So the, instead of like having banter with the person next to you on your desk, you're having it through your internet. And I have a remote team as well. That, that internet is like a lifeline for us. Like it's how we have little comments about our day and activity and stuff. And, <laughs> Um, it works quite well in terms of feeling connected to them throughout the week. Yeah, I had uh, watched a um, tweet yesterday, uh, today by someone who said that uh, I'm sitting in my in my daughter's bedroom uh, and it's beach dark because I allowed Google to monitor the lighting and Google is down and I'm thinking the whole life around me what this has done to me because I think there's there's partial shutdown of Google yesterday night or something evening Gmail was out YouTube was out and I think you know the light was controlled through Google home device and said I don't know what will happen to this uh, you know and I think internet has been a lifesaver in in this time but I agree with you on, on the context of human interaction I shared my my uh, first networking event that I went to last Tuesday, and it was overwhelming. The moment I walk in into that ho into that hotel, which was a pub, uh, you know, it was loud music. Um, everyone was buzzing, and I, I was by myself waiting for everybody else to arrive. And it was, it, I had to deliberately deliberately sit in the networking event initially. Then I got into the rhythm. My my heart was saying we should go out don't worry about it because i was feeling just super anxious to interact with everybody else and the flow of information that that will come to me but i may not be able to handle that so i i think that's the human interaction is the biggest loss in this time and especially if you're in a in a leadership capacity zoe i think it it means a, it means a hill to a lot for a lot of people isn't it it's interesting that you comment on that, like the overwhelm of getting back into face-to-face -face interaction. And I've heard that from a number of people is that we crave that interpersonal connection. And then the overstimulation of, of being able to read people's body language and being, having proximity to other humans was extraordinarily draining. And particularly as a speaker and a facilitator, if I had a number of friends in Melbourne who hadn't been in front of a live group face to face since February and it's December. And their first group was like, Ooh, very exhausting. Um, and I think if we're more naturally introverted in, like uh, inclined, then it's very easy just to keep riding that out and been very happy doing that. And yet there is always a benefit if we come out and meet people and see people and share that that heart to heart 
person-to-person experience. Um, I don't think there'll ever be a replacement for that. And I certainly know that I delivered a workshop last week through Zoom uh, to a remote community. And they were delighted because they have trouble getting facilitators to go to their community because it takes about two or three days to get there. So to have someone be able to deliver a training session for them was like, yes, we're getting some professional development. Awesome. So they were very happy to run it through Zoom because it was something was better than nothing. Absolutely. And for me, it was very difficult because it was very difficult to, to read the room uh, and to get a sense of when people were winding up their discussions and so on. Um, so in any case, though, I think, is it a compromise to do everything virtually? Don't know. Sometimes it's it's a useful tool so you can connect more on some level rather than nothing. Uh, yeah, but we should be able to reach out to each other for sure. Yeah, it's a funny thing. I think um, some of my clients who are talking about networking during the pandemic, um, Zoom made it easier to meet people um, because, you know, you could, before it felt a bit awkward asking people to catch up for a coffee if they're one end of the city to the other or working hours, but Zoom was like, you yeah, know, let's have a quick 15 minute Zoom or so. But I'm the same. I, it's funny because I, it is, I'm in Melbourne as well and just sort of getting back into normal crowds and things like that. Like for a while I had um, nightmares around, I'm in a crowd and I don't have a mask and, you know, that kind of stuff. It's like that level of anxiety you don't realise, but, you know, because it's all around around you, um, you don't think that you're affected, but obviously, you know, on different levels, I'm sure there's lots of people like me that, you know, that, that have been. So, yeah. Absolutely. I know my nephew, my brother was saying, he's there in northern Canada, northern yeah. Alberta, and my nephew, who's eight, is has got tremendous social anxiety now um, going yeah. out because they've been wearing masks since the thing started. And so mm. they're dreadfully afraid of catching the virus. Mm. Uh, and I think sort of the more people have masks around, the more you're reminded that there's something out there that could kill you or kill mm. your family. And I think that sort of it heightens it. Whereas in camera, we mm. haven't worn masks. I think I wore masks twice to the supermarket and that was an anomaly. Like hardly anybody was wearing masks. because mm. We're in this like, I we're in a special little bubble, complacency bubble, or compliance bubble, probably. <laughs> complacency <laughs> and compliance bubble. <laughs> but we haven't had cases for months, months and months and months. So, yeah, it's really challenging. Yeah. So I wanted to ask a couple of questions that occurred to me, um, you know, from just the topic really about, you know, training leaders and coaching leaders. Do you think that um, everybody can be a leader or do you think that it's an innate characteristic that, that people have? Uh, I, I love that question. It's always asked, you know, are people natural born leaders? I think people have natural born gregariousness, which is often mistaken for leadership. And mm -hmm. I think that charisma piece is an easy way to get influence. It doesn't necessarily mean leadership though in terms of galvanizing a, a cohort of people towards a better future. That is a skill that can absolutely be learned. And mm. even charisma is a skill that can be learned. Uh, are some people naturally better at doing leadership than others? Maybe. Uh, I don't think that should preclude anybody from putting their hand up to have a go and to learn about it. Because definitely these are things that can be learned. And I think probably the most important question to ask is what is your motivation for it? And mm. because it's an incredible honor to be a steward and a leader on behalf of others and with others, a huge sense of responsibility too. 
if people want to do leadership or do leadership roles for an ego point of view to see if they can do it, probably not the best of intentions to start off with. Um, mm. Though ironically, that's often is the intention that people have when they put their hands up to be leaders. Um, mm. It ends up being a hollow ambition if that's the case. And there's it's ripe for mistakes if that is the ego-driven thing. Um, mm. But wanting to make a contribution and to move a community or an organization or a team uh, to a better future, I think is is a aspirational calling for many mm. of us. All of us can step into. Mm. Is that a more sustainable kind of motivation for yourself to to want to become a leader? Do you think? I think that's a lovely question. And yes, is it more sustainable? I think what is less sustainable is when you have your attention on yourself. And certainly all the leadership and power traps occur when we get too self-focused. You know, what's in it for me? How is this good for my resume? And we get uh, too driven that way. When we are focused on what is this really about? What is the positive impact that I can make, we can make? That's inspiring. Mm. And that is a huge source of renewable energy, if you like, as opposed to motivation, which is... Yeah externally focused and you have to keep kind of finding it every day but when you have something that you want to create in the world that's a positive thing for you and others then yeah it's easy to start the fire every day mm. what about if you're wanting to develop leadership skills where would you start what's a good good place to to start to work on so many different places you could go um, well there's the self-help route and there's any number of amazing podcasts and books <laughs> would that be the award-winning book? <laughs> Actually, I'm not sure that I would put this up as a beginner's book, to be honest. It's yeah. called an advanced handbook for leadership. And it's not, it doesn't give you the fundamentals. Like this is the next level stuff. So I wouldn't put this forward as a, as a place to start. Um, so yeah, podcasts and books and YouTube videos. There's a whole wealth of information out there. I think volunteering is really a good place to go and have a practice. Um, mm in terms of being part of a team like to learn to be a better leader you need to learn how to be a fantastic follower so when you learn how to support a leader and support a team that's a good starting point and then volunteering you can you can put your hand up for that uh get a mentor or a coach to help guide you because there'll be stuff in books that doesn't necessarily contextualize well to the experience that you're having and sometimes it's useful to be able to debrief that and unpick it and find out what are the dynamics there um, the next sort of high level thing would be to go for leadership training courses. And there's any number of them that are out there that you can learn the basics and then the advanced pieces like that. So yeah, lots of options for folks. Mm. Yeah, and also saying yes to that as well. If the opportunity presents to yourself, it's saying yes to the leadership opportunities also equally, um, you know, equally important. Um, you know, Zui, you know, given the current you know business climate and the uh, you know political climate all across the world, which are some of the business and community leaders that you admire for for their leadership uh, in this ever changing uh, in, you know business political environment, and why would you admire them? Sure, uh, Angela Merkel has long been a hero for me. I think her presence and her conviction and her values are fabulous 
um, models for everyone. So I think she's pretty amazing. Everyone's in love with Jacinda Ardern and so am I. I think she's remarkable uh, in terms of demonstrating compassion and uh, centeredness and being able to empathize with people. And I think her handling of the various crises has been, uh, has been fantastic. Um, one of my other favorite leadership models is Dr. Kiran Bedi from India. You might be familiar with her, Nate. Um, she has got, I mean, she's been a leader since the 70s, starting what a remarkable career as a tennis champion at the age of 17, uh, and then moving on to be the first female police officer in the Delhi Police Force all the work that she did in reforming Tihar prison and work on the United Nations, setting up not-for-profits, like she is a powerhouse and she's about five foot nothing. I had the privilege of meeting her uh, twice when I, on two different trips to India. And so she remains a stalwart for me. It is from my reading of her, what I've read about her and the books I've read about her, it's never been about her. It's always been about the, in the Delhi police forces about enforcing the law and being a, 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 an, effective law enforcement agent for the community, for the Tihar prison. It was never about her ego. It was always about how can we make the prison better for the prisoners? How can we make this a better institution? Um, all of her work has always been about others, a ripple effect. And she has the capacity to come back to the immediate needs of the person. So when we visited the Navjoti Foundation in India, rural India, there was a book that she'd published and the book was about basic hygiene and it was a picture book. And she was trying through, through that to educate the locals on effective hygiene, which prevents a whole bunch of disease and other problems. And um, so in terms of thinking about book publishing, you know, the, here's a picture book teaching hygiene, incredibly important leadership activity that has fundamentally changed how people look after themselves. Um, so I think those are a couple of examples of, of people who inspire me. Funny enough, they're all women. <laughs> I wasn't listening to the intention. I'm like, these are all my examples that are front of mind at yeah. the moment. Is I do there, have numbers I admire too, though. Is there a common characteristic there? Because Jacinda Ardern has really won hearts around, around the world and people... Well, I think people speak about her differently than, say, Julia Gillard, for example. So is there, like, is there a common characteristic amongst sort of female leaders versus male leaders? That... No, I, I don't draw those lines. I am yeah. not one to say female leadership, male leadership at all. Uh, mm -hmm. I'm, not I'm not necessarily supportive of leadership characteristics either. I, I more like to identify leadership practices because mm -hmm. uh, characteristics kind of alludes to there's a personality thing. And I really think it's it's more about the practice of leadership that's important. Um, the thing I think that is common across those examples and other fabulous leaders, be they female or male, is there's humility. Mm. Uh, so there is an understanding that they don't have all the answers and that they are interested in, in being in, of service. So it's mm. not about the ego, it's about service. There's curiosity, really interested and curious about ideas and about people. And the third mm -hmm. one, I think that you alluded to, which Jacinda Ardern uh, exemplifies, and that perhaps poor old Julia Gillard didn't demonstrate, but probably mm -hmm. had, is care. Um, yeah. So that compassion, care, those three things, humility, curiosity, and care, temper the 
uh, or an antidote to one of the common traps of power that comes with leadership, and which is the trap of hubris and arrogance. So humility, mm -hmm. care, and curiosity keep us tethered to our purpose. And those three practices, and I think they are practices as opposed to attributes, are what I always tell people to practice. Um, and they're characteristics of the archetype, one of the archetypes I talk about in the book called the elder. So the elder archetype for me is something that we can embody regardless of age. It's not an age thing. It's more of a practice, the practice of sensible and sensitive leadership, the practice mm -hmm. of developing our wisdom and our compassion, which is the best of our head and the best of our heart. The balancing those pieces is what I think brings out fantastic leadership. Mm. Um, I've got a question from Balin. He says, what do you think should be the topmost quality of a leader? I guess the definition between practice and personality there, but maybe the most practice of a leader, if we reframe that a little bit. Practice of leader. So the practice of perspective is an overarching practice. Um, mm. So that's being able to think far and wide, um, far into the future, far into the past. So that's developing your scope of responsibility and influence. Um, it's about looking deep below the surface. So being able to dive deep below the surface of a problem to unpack what are the systems driving there and looking wide to see what is the ripple effect and who are we affecting in each of these decisions. So the practice of perspective is important. And to balance that out with wisdom and compassion, compassion is best of the heart, being caring in what we do, sensitive. And uh, wisdom is about practice of the mind, being sensible and discerning in the choices that we make. So we need to balance both of those things. It's coming back to the characteristic uh, I had to pick one, like we had to erase all of them. Compassion. Yeah, mm. I would pick. <laughs> Why do you pick that? Because that connects us to everything and everyone. I think mm. when we have compassion, we are, it's, compassion is, is a level beyond empathy. So empathy is about understanding other people's emotions. Compassion is about understanding other people's emotions and wanting to do something to help them if we can. So compassion involves caring and action. And I think from that place, we can make a positive ripple effect. Even if we don't have wisdom, which is to make the sensible decision, we can at least make a compassionate decision. I think that will be a positive contribution. Mm. Lovely way to put it. And this, uh, you know, what, what you spoke about, the leaders should not be knowing if they do not know everything. They should also be upfront that they don't know the answer to that. I watched, um, you know, a TEDx talk, a TED talk by uh, Pico Iyer, and he tours around with Dalai Lama in Japan every year. And he says that when he sits with, you know, in his lectures and everything else, and the you know everybody asked this question that when do you think the world peace will be when do you think the poverty will end and when do you think this will happen and he says that dalai lama always says i don't know and you know coming out of him that i don't know is such a powerful statement that i don't know have the all the answers and i have got the humility to accept that i don't know literally i have no idea uh, you know, when that will happen. But that's a very powerful uh, moment that I saw, uh, you know, that, you know, even with this wisdom and, you know, the amount of work that uh, Dalai Lama has done, he has still got this 
um, this sense of saying acknowledging that he does not know that and that's pretty yeah. powerful yeah i think that's that's a great example because uh, a lot of new leaders think that they do need to have all the answers and that gets them into trouble you know thinking like they have to be the brave one they have to be the rock they have to and when especially during the pandemic the leaders that were successful and, and bringing their team with them were ones who said i don't know all these answers and this is what we do know and this is what we are going to do to find out what we can next mm -hmm. and that is one way of putting certainty around uncertainty and when the dalai lama says i don't know he's not giving false hope he's he's which i think is also something important to avoid <laughs> he's saying i don't know i am only one man i'm only one person and together we can work on something towards that you know, I think people want certainty, and that's what they our role as leaders is sometimes to try and bring as much certainty as we can in uncertainty, but not lying about it. You know, I think bringing clarity in uncertainty is a way of getting some certainty in uncertainty. Or that was probably there. <laughs> Sounds like limerick. Yeah, a little bit. Why don't you just go back to something that you said about um, being a follower before a leader? I'm not sure if I'm mis mis understanding what you said, but what, what did you mean by that? You know, needing to be able to be a part of a team before you can lead a team. I think that's that's about building your compassion um, yeah. muscle as well. You know, to have compassion for the leader and to compassion for your fellow teammates is pretty important. So you get an understanding of how we all fit together and mm. that a team is made up of individuals who collaborate and collectively work on something together. So when we learn how to do that, and we're mindful of our own contribution, its impact on others, that is in itself an act of leadership. Whether we have the mantle of and the title and the authority of leadership, that awareness and uh, willingness to contribute is a leadership act. And so it sounds like you must do this before that. It's like it's a practice. The practice of followership is in itself a practice of leadership. And uh, the U.S. Navy SEALs know this, they embed this ex explicitly in their teams. So each Navy SEAL unit is a unit of six guys. They're all guys at the moment. Um, and they are trained extensively in their own professional skills. And so each of them has a personal responsibility to be as skilled and as healthy and fit as possible so that they contribute to the team. And each of them has a role in the team and each of them knows each other's role. So if somebody gets delayed or uh, conked out in an, in, in an action, the others can take over and seamlessly move together as a cohesive unit. So they are a unit of leaders and uh, within the greater army, it's a team of teams. So um, I think that idea is really important. Like we're, we're all leadership equals when we know our own role, we know each other's roles and we can seamlessly back each other up. That is active leadership and it's an active followership. I guess maybe followership is the wrong word. Maybe it's team member. So being a good team member is is an essential leadership attribute or practice, I should say. Absolutely. Excellent. Uh, we just uh, have another one, which is uh, I think leaders should lead by example. And how can we invite these qualities, especially in childhood? Because I think there's an increased uh, increased focus or demand. Um, you know, I'll, I'll narrate an example. You know, we got my wife is works with Lions Club. She volunteers, and they've got a Leo Club, which is for 
young uh, you know students who are in year 10 11 12 and they do a lot of fundraising they just go out and help people in community and i i remember this on this sunday where my wife was helping out for a homeless kitchen soup place and i asked my uh, son who is in year 10 next year i said go there i said you know what i don't want to I don't want to ask him to go there just because I think that he needs leadership already. So I changed the conversation. I said, you know what, these these guys are doing something incredibly important at Christmas time. I don't, I just want you to go there and support them. I don't want you to do anything else. Just go there, lift a soup can, do something to support them. They're doing incredible activity. I'm not asking you to do anything else. Would you be happy to go and support them in this cause? And he went there for an hour and uh, one and a half hour and he really enjoyed that. So, you know, and I, as a parent, I'm very interested to develop that. You know, it's like whatever that I have not done, I want you to do that so that you don't end up uh, end up being me. Uh, you know, but tell us about what are some things that as a parent that we could do to help our kids develop some of these leadership practices. Well, I'm not a parent, so I'm not sure I'm eminently qualified to, to comment on that. And what I will do though is pick up on the thread of what you said. And um, being, the, being a model, living by your values and living a compassionate and wise life is the best contribution you can make to your child. I have coached a lot of my leaders who are parents and I know that it is at once a such a heartwarming, fulfilling experience and at the same time a completely heartbreaking one. Uh, in many instances, because it doesn't matter how fantastic a parent you were, you could have done everything by the book, mo role model values, talk about ethics and decision making and uh, education and being supportive and loving. Each child is on their own journey. And that can be so frustrating <laughs> at one level for parents, because they're, they've got to go ahead and have their own journey along the way. And sometimes they will make decisions that we wouldn't necessarily make and uh, that we know will cause problems down the track. And our role is then how do we support them to live through that and learn from it without falling into a black hole. And sometimes you can reel them back if they're open to that and sometimes they're not. So I think that's incredibly challenging. So, you know, what is the role of a parent as leader, I think, is to, same as leading a team, uh, show up with wisdom and compassion do your best don't be too hard on yourself um i believe absolutely model model what you want um model the expression of your values if that's going to volunteer fantastic if that's being supportive and cheering at uh, a kid's sporting carnival great do that um it's i think if you act on your values if you act from a place of your values then you're doing the best that you can for your child and it's over, always over to them, whether they come to drink from that fountain or not. And it's the same with teams. <laughs> you have the best culture in the world. And if somebody doesn't want to play, they're not going to play. Mm. Uh, yeah, it's the art of detachment is something yeah. I, I think is the hardest for parents to experience. It sounds like there's wisdom, a lot of wisdom in recognizing, you know, if they're not going to play, they're not going to play as well. And that you've you know, done your absolute best in, the, in that scenario as well. Yeah, I think it's easier to say than do. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs>
Excellent. So, look, you know, it's been absolutely fascinating and incredible to catch up with you. We thank you again for the wisdom that you have shared because things that you've talked about are so, so important and insightful. And I'm pretty sure that the people who watch this live or people who listen to the podcast will find it absolutely useful. And we will put the link of the book, the, the award-winning book, uh, you know, as well in the link section for people to go and buy. And what I really liked, I think, is the cards that you have developed because it's, it is really, really implementation cards or trigger cards that help leaders to, um, you know, to go along with the journey. That's absolutely fantastic. So we wish you all the best. Have a great Christmas and uh, Happy New Year. Thank you so much. It's been a pleasure being here. I really appreciate it. It was wonderful to connect with you both. Thank you so much, Zoe. It's been immense fun. And um, yeah, good luck with the book as well. Thank you. <laughs> All right. So tomorrow we are continuing the journey. We have got three, two more shows and then we are rent, uh, you know, wrapping up a career care package on 18th with a huge celebration of 32 Avengers uh, or celebrities coming onto your LinkedIn screen on Friday. It's going to be a LinkedIn marathon from three to five. And what we are asking you to come along with is a Christmas thingy. If you can put your hat on, put a reindeer ear, put us become a Santa. I really liked, I think one of the, one of our listeners said that me and Caroline are career Santas. I really liked that, uh, you know, as well. So, which is, I think Poonam said that. Poonam, thank you again for naming us. And, you know, very aptly. So until we see you tomorrow, 3 p.m., everyone, have a great evening and look after yourself and your loved ones. And bye for now. Thank you, everyone, for listening to the Your Career Down Under show. Hope you enjoyed today's episode. If you want to know more about how Your Career Down Under can help you, please reach out to us on www.com yourcareerdownunder.com.au and if you have got a question about today's episode or if you want us to do a particular show on a particular topic please reach out to us we would love to do that until next time be well